Welcome, everyone, to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian-American conversations about all things, including the topics you are too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Hula Ramos, and joining me today is my co-host, Linda Schwartz. How are you doing, Linda? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me again, Hula. Oh, no, I love having you on. What have you been, what have you been up to since last time I talked to you? Oh, my goodness. Um, just staring at my son while he sleeps and soaking in all the moments. <laughs> you know, it's it's becoming very, very obvious to me that these moments with him right now, especially at his age, are very, very fleeting. And I just want to be with him um, and be present with him as much as I can. And, um, and I'm obviously not doing that only while he sleeps, but um, it's just, it's <laughs> easier. <the> <laughs> I get it. I get it. You know, I remember being a new parent and having a little one and just watching. I literally would watch my kids while they slept. So I get it. Totally yes, get it. Yes, we, we do that still too. You're not crazy. I get it. Oh, <laughs> so gosh. today I'm so, super excited because on today's show, if you've lived in San Diego for a while, you know our guest very well. She's a first-generation Korean-American who was an anchor and general assignment reporter for KGTV Channel 10 right here in San Diego from 1996 to 2008. She was also the executive director of Pacific Arts Movement and founded the San Diego Asian Film Festival in 2000. And let me just tell you, Linda, this guest and I have partied hard together. I Can you hear please about welcome <laughs> Le- Leanne Kim to the show? How are you doing, Leanne? Hey, are you, so you're already going to out me as like a party girl already? <laughs> you know what? You know, I, the last time, back up into it. <laughs> last time you and I got together or seen each other in like real life in IRL, as the young kids say, um, was New Year's uh, way back in the day. We welcomed the new year, and I remember just matching what your husband wore, and we were fully partying it up together. That feels like a whole generation ago because since then we have children, things have happened, you know, and if that's the last time you and I have seen each other in real life, we got to work on that, Hula, Yes, I agree with you, Leanne. Absolutely. Hopefully when all this is said and done, as far as the pandemic is concerned, we'll be back to seeing each other in, in IRL, as they say. I'm fully vaxxed, honey, so bring it on. I'm a, I am too. So we're, okay, it's a date. It's a date. But be, okay. <laughs> before we make our plans, our future plans, I do want to share your story because I feel like, you know, this is going to sound cliche. You're an onion. There's a lot of layers to Leanne besides being this predominant, you know, Asian American here in San Diego who's created all these amazing things. So let's just start from the very beginning of where, you know, how Leanne Kim came about. Oh, gosh. Um, Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I think all of us are onions, right? We all have... (laughs) True. We all have our our stories. We all have uh, family secrets, right? Mm. And things that have shaped us. And for me, um, I was born in South Korea, came here when I was one. But, you know, my parents being their first generation, you know, in their families... I was raised in a household where you take the shoes off and I'm back in Korea. I'm in Korea because my parents, when they came to the United States, their mentality was stuck in Korea. So they raised me very, very traditionally um, in the Chicagoland area. Mm-hmm. I'm the oldest of four girls. And, um, you know, I'll be honest, you know, growing up in the Midwest in the 1970s was 
it was difficult being Asian. I mean, because everyone thought you were either Chinese or Japanese. It was just one of those two ethnicities and that's it, right? You couldn't be anything else but Chinese or Japanese. And then when I tried to explain to people, well, I'm actually Korean, they would ask me, well, well what the hell is that? Wow. So, you know, imagine as a child, you're having to answer questions of like who you are. So I had to create a narrative for myself at a very young age. How did I learn how to speak like that? Where am I really, really from? Do I eat dogs? You know, <laughs> and that, that, that really impresses you. And like, I, I, you know, I didn't realize this, but I've talked to so many Asian Americans who grew up in the 70s. And the, I hate to say this, but the white kids, they all call this the same thing. Flat face. Right. Pancake face. Right. I thought I was the only one. No, it's like all of us. And I didn't even realize my nose was flat, you know, until <laughs> they called it out. Right. 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 Um, so, you know, having grown up in a, in a situation like that and, and then, you know, the dichotomy of like living in the outside American world, white American world, and then coming into my, you know, Korean household, you know, what was my identity? And that was always something that I really, really struggled with. And, you know, I honestly learned most of my, my English from television. So I watched every television show. I was, I, I loved television, but I rarely saw people who looked like me. There was like what, Connie Chung. There was Pat Morita in Happy Days. Right. Okay. Right. And then there was that weird show, um, uh, The Courtship of Eddie's Father. <laughs> and there was like the Japanese American like uh, maid. That was it. Right. Right. And so it's interesting how I ended up in television many years later because I I I know that I missed seeing people who looked like me on television. So um, it was kind of like full circle. So, okay, you know, I, I definitely can relate to you because of the fact that you almost have to live this double life where, you know, as uh, for my parents, be, growing up Filipino-American, I had to be proper and I had to respect my elders and I had to, these rules to follow as a Filipino-American. But at the same time, I switched myself when I was out in the public, so to speak. And so you had to have these dual characters you're almost like a, this weird two-faced person because of the fact that you had to deal with that i mean for you growing up korean american and being a woman you know mm -hmm. on top of that there, there must have been so much more pressure for you growing up uh as a, yes because you know my dad okay so my father is the first and only son of the first son of the first son mm. And I don't know how you, that is like really important shit. Right. And he gave birth, he, he gave birth to four girls. Oh. Okay. And, and so, all, you know, what's interesting is all of my sisters and I are all very successful and like extra. And we believe it's because of the fact that my dad was so depressed that he didn't have a son that we all had to be more than be double whatever was expected of us, you know? And, um, and so, you know, we had that internal pressure, but I want to go back to what you said about like the dichotomy right. and like, um, the code switching that we had to do. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that was also part of like society's pressure to assimilate. Mm -hmm. And part of assimilating is letting go of who you are and your heritage. Right. right? And we know now in today's world that we can be both and. Mm -hmm. 
right? right? I can be like super duper proud to be Korean and eat kimchi, you know, in my lunchbox, you know, which we couldn't do back then. I could have kept, I could have kept my Korean name, you know, Yi Yun Kim, instead of going by Lee Ann Kim. And that would have been acceptable today. But back then it was a whole different time. And, you know, as, as a result of that, so many of us had to struggle so that our children today, like, like your children, Hula and Linda's baby can live in a world where we can be both. And, you know, right. right. it took a long time for us to get there. And I, I realized that, you know, as much as I tried to assimilate, I just cared so much. And I, I really like, I honor my parents for um, being so hard on me as a Korean because I've learned to like develop a Korean spirit and a Korean heart that I can now pass on to my children. You know what, you know? Leanne, you, I feel like you, ha- you have this strong confidence in you, but I know from previous conversations that you didn't grow up with a voice. You have a strong voice now, but you didn't have that. Can you share a little bit about that growing up? Oh, yeah. I mean... First, your parents tell you, you know, our mothers tell you, just study really hard in school. Just keep your head down low. Don't talk too much. You know, keep to yourself. And, um, you know, <laughs> I, unfortunately, I ended up being a very talkative person. Mm-hmm. And um, as early as in second grade, I remember every year my, my teachers would complain that I talked too much. And my second grade teacher, this was in 1978, um, Mrs. Heffel, she was so sick and tired of me talking she used me to shame you know to to shame me in front of all the the kids in in class and she taped my mouth shut with masking tape and put me in a corner with a a dunce cap and also announced that my head was so big that she couldn't even use the regular dunce cap she had to make a special dunce cap just for me and you know I, I think about what's interesting is I was the only child of color in that classroom and we know now that teachers have their own biases about children of color. Right. And I think there's a certain expectation for Asians to fit a certain mold that we're quiet, we're, we're obedient, we're compliant. And I wasn't that. And so she wanted to show me, she wanted to show me what I need to be, which was a, 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 a quiet little girl. But, you know, touche, Mrs. Huffle. I ended up fucking talking for a living, <laughs> right? And, um, I love it. But... At that time, I not only did I not have a voice at school, I couldn't share that with my own parents because my parents being so traditional, they always be- believed that teachers were ultimately the, the correct, right? right? So I couldn't even share that with my parents in fear that they would give me a spanking, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, very lonely existence, right? And um, But somehow along the way, you know, um, I found Filipinos. <laughs> Yay, Filipinos! <laughs> like, hey, can I just tell you about like my Pinoy, Pinay brothers and sisters? Like, they have this this way of expressing mm-hmm. themselves. I mean, yes, they're all nurses, and yes, they're all kind of you know, <laughs> in the Navy, you, know and, you know, working at the post office. But you know what? When they come home and take off their shoes, it is like Soul Train. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, they know how to dance. They know how to party. They know how to sing. And they just have so much joy. They actually taught me how to have joy as an Asian American, you know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, long story short, when I was a freshman in high school, 
a talent show, myself and this uh, uh, Filipino DJ, we auditioned for our high school talent show. I was rapping. Wow. <laughs> I made up a stupid, stupid rap. This is 1984. And he was scratching and mixing. And of course, no one in our white high school had ever seen anything <laughs> like this before. Right? right? But I was like, well, come on, let's, you know, this is cool. We didn't make it into the talent show. And when I looked at the list of who made it, I noticed that it was all white people, like not a single person of color who auditioned made it. I called them out on it and I singled out the teacher who was the judge and, um, and the organizer. And I was like, you're racist. This school is racist. You, you know, you don't know how good of a rapper I am. There's this amazing talent right here. You guys are missing out. And in that very moment, um, the director of the speech team happened to walk by and he recruited me onto the speech team. And as a result of that, I found my voice. Mm-hmm. Not only did I find my voice, others found my voice. I became, um, I was a state champion um, in the state of Illinois, the first Asian American to ever win uh, first for humorous interpretation. I also did original comedy. But it's so interesting how like little things happened to, to create that journey for me, mm-hmm. right? Right. And I built my confidence through competing in the speech team, which then led me into theater, which then led me into journalism. And here we are today, you know? So it's, um, it's, I I look back and I don't think anything was an accident. It all happened on purpose. purpose, It all had a greater purpose. I was just thinking that that was the first word that popped in my mind about just how purposeful your life has been in terms of everything that you've done, everything that you've accomplished, all the projects that you started. Can you talk a little bit about how um, the film festival got started? Oh, sure. Um, So how did it get started? At the time, I was working at Channel 10. Mm -hmm. This is before YouTube, before social media. And I noticed that I kept getting so many phone calls from young Asian-American students who saw me and wanted to be like me. And so I was just constantly like mentoring and I just realized that there was like this, this gap, right? This mentorship, leadership gap, conversation gap in San Diego. And um, I, I restarted the Asian American Journalists Association chapter here in San Diego, bringing together a, a place for young Asian Americans, aspiring journalists to, to come together and, and for us to mentor one another. But that wasn't good enough because I know that w- in terms of we needed to do more for representation. Mm-hmm. And at that time, um, there were no there was no such thing as an Asian American film festival here in town. And I didn't even know that Asian American films existed. I mean, I had seen Joy Luck Club. I had seen Karate Kid, if you would even consider that (laughs) Asian American, but Cameron Tamita. But through my network of AAJA, I discovered that there was a whole industry of Asian American filmmakers. And I was like, why don't I know this? We need to give the community access to this. So in 1999, we began... um, uh, putting together our very first film festival, which happened in August of 2000, our very first film called The Debut mm-hmm. by Jean Cahayon. If you are Filipino, you call it The, the Debut. Debut. Yep. The Debut. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> the very first ever um, Filipino-American narrative film. And um, it was at USD, and first day of our film festival, I have never seen so many Filipinos at one place. They were lining out the door, down the block, 
And I am sure that everyone at USD was freaking out because they'd never seen so many brown people on campus, right? <laughs> but, but something happened that night for me. Be, it just like something like my my heart just grew and my eyes and my mind just grew. And it was the fact that we we need to be able to see ourselves fully, three-dimensionally, to see ourselves on the big screen because we are never represented fully. Mm-hmm. To see it is so powerful and impactful. And I looked into the audience and, and just the energy, the love, the desire um, of, of the audience members to feel connected, to be seen. It was so powerful. And that's when I knew that this Asian Film Festival is more than just about filmmaking and about entertainment. It's about this deep connection and this desire for us as a community to be seen and to give non-Asians in San Diego that window, a safe place to enjoy and to see our diaspora. Because we, I mean, you know, we were talking about this before, like many of us don't even consider, you know, South Asians our brothers and sisters, right, right? Right. But South Asians are indeed a part, and Pacific Islanders are indeed a part of our community. We are still defining who that is. We are still figuring out how to speak a unified language, right? Right. Um, rather than being like in our little silos. And that's what's happening right now in, in today's world. I mean, we're speaking now during AAPI Heritage Month, and I think this is the first time in our nation's history that we have a national spotlight on the AAPI community. What does it mean to be Asian American Pacific Islander? Um, What are our issues? And and we're really being pulled out of the shadows to talk about ourselves. And we're like, oh shit. (laughs) Right. How do we talk about ourselves? (laughs) Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's an exciting time. It's a sad time, but for change to happen, we all know this, that, usually something very traumatic needs to happen in order for change to occur, right? And we are going through major trauma right now in our our community. Do you think, Leanne, real quick, um, that maybe what makes us different from the Black Lives Matter movement is the fact that a lot of Asian Americans maybe still hold that tradition of being proper and not speaking their voice. Do you think that's even a part of it? Because that's something I feel like. Oh, there's so many layers. And I, I, I don't want to say that ours is different than the BLM movement because I feel like this is all part of white supremacy. Right. 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 At the end of the day, what you know, what we're talking about is the the ideology that anybody who's not white is less than. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And 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 we know through history whether whether you're black or whether you're Asian or indigenous, we all have different histories that brought us here. Um, or that brought us to this moment. Um, And what is holding us back is many things. One, our diaspora. Two, the ridiculous misinformation and lack of knowledge in the community about what Asia is. (laughs) Like some people literally think Asia is actually the Orient. Like there is no map or globe that actually says the Orient, right? That's a word that was made up to denote foreign and something like far away and exotic, right? Right. Um, and then there's also um, many of us have come here. So my parents came through the wave of Asian immigration that allowed educated Asian Americans, so the top of the top, right, mm-hmm. creme de la creme, to come here. 
And we've been used as a wedge against other people of color, you know, um, through the model minority myth, right? Right. Um, but we do know that there are other Asian Americans who have come here as refugees mm-hmm. and came here with absolutely nothing, mm-hmm. right? And so the diaspora is so vast, and I think that's a big issue. Um, and, uh, you know, we're all racist. <laughs> we, we all, we all have to, uh, we all have to work on our own individual anti-racism, you know, and understand the history of this country in which we live in a history that is not being taught in our schools. So it's really up to us to find that history. Right. And there's now a ton of resources to start talking about that, but it's, I think really Hula is it's about us individually prioritizing that in our lives where where we're at and for those who have privilege because so many of us have privilege right you know we have like a white adjacent privilege right because we have this proximity to whiteness Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Um, based on like um, our economic status our work status you know when we came to United States all of that um, and, and that blinds us sometimes you know from actually seeing what what is really, really happening. So yes, it is about us um, not talking about ourselves, uh, but it's so much more. It's much, much deeper than that. Yeah. And speaking of change, I heard that you came across this landmark study that um, called Leading Asian America to Unite for Change. And what you shared with us earlier was just so fascinating to me. Like I had absolutely no idea that... Um, white America was still so ignorant. <laughs> yeah, and well, and okay, so this is very interesting because there are so few, when we talk about visibility and versus invisibility, how many organizations out there have actually studied about Asian, you know, attitudes and stereotypes of the Asian American Pacific Islander community? Very few. So when we say this is a landmark study, it's because there are very few institutions who have looked into this. So this group, L-A-A-U-N-C-H, that you mentioned, they did a, they surveyed almost 3,000 Americans um, just recently between March and April. And um, you'll have to see the results. But the, one of the results that I find so fascinating and alarming is what I saw on Daniel Day Kim's Instagram page, which was, when asked to name a prominent Asian American, here are the three top answers out of almost 3,000 people. The top answer was none. They couldn't name one single prominent Mm. Asian American. 42%. The the second top answer was Jackie Chan. He's not even Asian American. He's an import from Hong Kong, okay? (laughs) And the third is Bruce Lee, who died 50 years ago, okay? We have a fucking problem. Right. If those are the top three answers, Okay, in a time when we're talking about Asian American visibility, invisibility, and here's another thing that 25% of white Americans in the study believed that um, they did not believe that there was anti-Asian American hate going on. Wow. 25% that that needed to be addressed. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, unfortunately, I had to, you know, write an op-ed and an essay when the Atlanta shootings first happened, I think all of us were alarmed when they gave voice to the killer, right? To the killer who said, "Oh, this is not about anti-Asian. This was about my sexual, uh, you know, addiction." Well, okay, so now we're talking about racism, 
misogyny and the intersections with with class, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to write an essay about that, and it forced so many Asian American women to come forward to talk about, oh shit, this this is a very real thing, and now I have to lay bare my scars for you, white America, to understand that this has been generations of of, of scarring on our Asian American uh, female community, and to understand this, these intersections that are happening, right? So um, this, I think the study is like, okay, this is the truth <laughs> and this is how far we need to continue working. And, this, and that's why we need to, um, we have the stage now. Mm-hmm. How are we going to show up? Right. How are we going to show up as, as Asian Americans? And we show up in, we have to show up in different ways. We have to start um, speaking out. We need to start writing. Mm-hmm. We need to start supporting other Asian American artists. We need to... Um, serve on boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm grateful that Mayor Todd Gloria has invited me to be part of his Asian Pacific Islander Advisory Board. Um, and, and believe you me, I'm going to ask him, what are we doing to be in solidarity with other people of color? Mm-hmm. I don't want this to just be about us because when it's just about us, we again are othering mm-hmm. other people, right? Right. So I'm sorry. I'm just going off on a tangent here. No, but- I... This Im- I have so many things no, going on. No, this conversation you know? is so important because I, I just feel like, you know, as for myself, you know, I am pursuing the stand-up comedy career and I've just kind of been, you know, in and out and in and out. It's like I've been tiptoeing. And now just hearing this, it just really makes me want to um, – just literally stand up and do my job and go out and really just knock this out of the ballpark as much as I can. And just so that Lao Americans can have a face, you know, to look up to or look into eyes to look into and just see that, that if it's possible for me, then it's possible for, for the rest of us also. And, you know, I think this is something that I am taking very personally because it's, in my heart of hearts, I've, I've always just kind of had this pull for it. And for some reason, it's like, I've also had this underlying kind of fear because I haven't seen many Asian Americans or Lao Americans doing stand up or on TV. And most people don't even know where the fuck Laos is, (laughs) you know? And so it's like, I, 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 I have this pull now and this magnetism toward this, this work that I'm doing. And this, um, you know, is making me want to just really move it forward. Um, even more it's more purposeful for me and you know linda comedy is the most arresting way to do that right because you know we we can organize and you know scream at the top of our lungs but i just feel like comedy allows it allows people to come in and like laughter is just kind of the great equalizer yeah Mm -hmm. you know And so much of our comedy comes from pain. Mm-hmm. So, girl, you be loud and proud, okay, out there. Okay, now, okay, now. You have a lot of. You have a lot of. We all we have a lot of content, right? That drives us to talk about. I mean, the fact that most Americans don't know where Laos is—that's a great place to start, <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
You know, Absolutely. I have this line in one of my bits. I say um, Laos is like the inner ci- is like the inner city of Southeast Asia. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so I'm working I'm working something around that because it's it's so true. Like, uh, but you know, not to get off topic or you know on a on a tangent, but you know, we we have a very short time to be with you. And there's something else that I wanted to ask you about because. Um, um, there's a woman by the name of Chloe Zhao, you might know her, uh, who won an yes, Academy yes. Award <laughs> for Best <laughs> Directing. Um, how significant is that for our API community? Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, I think it's not just significant to our API community. It's it's significant to women filmmakers. It's significant to BIPOC filmmakers. The fact that Chloe Zhao won the Academy Award as the first woman of color, right? Doing a film that had nothing to do with Asians, one. And also being of Chinese heritage during a time when Asians are being targeted because of the Chinese flu. It's significant. It's it's huge. Um, you know, on the flip side... I, I wonder, you know, um, it's, it's huge for us internally, but I wonder what the long-term effect is going to be. Because uh, especially when you look at the Oscars, you know, this was the blackest Oscars <laughs> I had ever watched. But it was also like the lowest rated right. watched Oscars. And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, where's our people? Why didn't they tune in? And I asked my other Asian American friends, like, hey, did you guys watch the Oscars? Did you guys watch No Man's Land? Uh, Nomadland? They say no. So it's like, okay, <laughs> this is a great, it's a great time, right, um, for artists of color and for women filmmakers. But if we, the audience, if we as Asian Americans are not doing our part to support, right, Hollywood doesn't see color. They see green. Mm-hmm. That's the only color that mm-hmm. they see, right? Right. And if they don't see an increase or feedback from Asian Americans. You know, Justin Lin said this, you know, um, very eloquently, you know, as after he did Better Luck Tomorrow. You know, it's important that when we see Asian American names at the box office, it, it's it's part of our activism mm-hmm. to buy a ticket, you know? Right. Because that's what Hollywood sees. They see the green. Yeah, we have right? to vote with our wallet. That's right. That's right. And that's what, you know... Um, the black community has done such a great job in doing that. 100%. And that's why black film and, you know, the black entertainment industry has really exploded. And it's because the community understands and will go and support, even when it's bad, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they will support because they understand that's what's important to Hollywood. you got to send a message to Hollywood. And Asian Americans, you know, it's funny, we'll spend, you know, $8,000 on a Louis Vuitton mm-hmm. or Gucci purse. <laughs> but, you know... Not $22 donate, dollars for a ticket? Mm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I feel like we have our priorities like all mixed up. But I think the more that we talk about it, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I, you know, there's two sides to that coin. But I am so very, very happy for Chloe. I'm so happy for her. You know what? And I'm just... After that, I feel like... We've just barely peeled one layer of this onion that is Leanne Kim. 
And I feel like we need to have you back for multiple segments to be really honest with you. Do you mind coming back and joining us for another like episode so we can dive deeper into, you know, because I feel like we need a voice like yours, you know, uh, racism, this, this whole, you know, for those that have been listening to this podcast right now, it's been about you know, the struggle you did, had to deal with growing up and having to be, you know, actually let people understand what an Asian American is. And I feel like there's a little bit, there's a lot more we need to talk about with you. Do you mind coming back and joining us? Oh my gosh, it would be my honor, Hula. I, you're, you're amazing. I've always been um, in awe of you. I know, I, I, I make it sound like you're a lot older than me, but I think we're actually the same age <laughs> because I always treat you as a legend. But honestly, growing up here in Aww. San Diego, um, as I was doing my radio career and you were doing your TV career, I always was inspired by the things you did. And I was there at, U- at UCSD that first moment of the San Diego Asian Film Festival. And I was so in awe of what you did. So thank you, Leanne. Hula, you and Linda um, are doing incredible work having a podcast like this. It's not easy. Um, And what's really important is not any one of us represents all of Asian America. And unfortunately, many people, they see one Asian person and they say, oh, okay, this is what all of Asian America is. Right. And the only way that we can dispel that is by having these kind of conversations over and over again and making sure that the Lao, the Filipino, the mixed Asian, the LGBTQ Asian experience, the trans experience is all um, part of that conversation. And so I want to honor and uplift you during this AAPI um, Heritage Month and just congratulate you on on doing this amazing show. Well, thank you. We, we appreciate that. And just real quick, um, if anybody else wants to follow you, where can we find you? Um, you know, so I'm a middle-aged woman, so I'm on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do Instagram, but I'm mostly on Facebook. So just look me up, Leanne Kim, L-E-E-A-M-K-I-M. Perfect. Right. Thank you so much again, Leanne, for joining us. And um, to learn more about today's show, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. Also, if you have any suggestions for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. Be sure to also subscribe as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And until next week, I'm Hula Ramos. And on behalf of my co-host, Linda Schwartz, we'd like to thank you for listening. And please join us for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Take care until next time, everyone.